I'm Sophie Thomas, and you're listening to Women Are The Business. Before we go on, we'd like to address the unusual circumstances we're all in. As you all know, a lot has changed when it comes to the way we work and live due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And that goes for podcasts too. We've had to change the way we record to take social distancing into account. So parts of this episode are in fact recorded in a makeshift studio in the backseat of my car. (laughs) Apologies if you hear some noise from outside the window or anything like that. We're doing our best to make things work in these strange times, just like you. Now, on with the episode. In episode four, we're talking about gender segregation in the workplace, female and male-dominated jobs. In 2020, men still dominate construction and engineering, and women do the large majority of nursing and teaching work. In spite of the leaps and bounds we've made on gender equality, with more women working than ever before, this is one workplace trend that has proven very, very hard to budge. And it has some big implications on women, men, and the way we live. I'm Libby Lyons, and I am the director of the federal government's Workplace Gender Equality Agency. And we are a regulator and tasked with collecting data from every organisation in the private sector with more than 100 employees. So we collect data on things uh, such as the jobs that women and men do in the workforce, the pay that they receive, what employers are doing in terms of sex-based harassment and discrimination, uh, the number of women and men they have on boards and governing bodies. So we collect this data annually, uh, we collate it, and we provide a scorecard uh, every year, which gives us a pretty real picture of what is happening in terms of gender equality in Australian workplaces. Let's talk a little bit about the research that you guys have done into um, gender segregation in Australian workplaces. What are some of the key things that you've found? So the interesting thing is that over half of all Australians work in an industry that's dominated by one gender or the other. And unsurprisingly, the male-dominated industries are those of resources and construction, and the female-dominated industries or the most female-dominated industries are healthcare, social assistance and education and training. The research tells us that... Out of the 19 industries or the categories of industries that are reported into us in our data set, just eight have a gender balance. So we're not doing well really on that score. The proportion of women in the female-dominated industry of education and training has actually gone up over the last couple of years, which is disappointing. Um, It was 62.5% in 2014, and it's gone up to 63.4% in 2019. Mm. There is no reason for that. In this day and age, there is no reason for that. Um, And the other thing that I think is really interesting is that it doesn't matter what industry you work in, whether it be female-dominated, male-dominated or balanced, there is a gender pay gap in favour of men in all of them. Libby, who is an alum of the university, has seen firsthand what it's like to be part of Australia's gender-divided workforce. She studied education and became a school teacher before jumping into IT, then went into corporate affairs working mainly in the mining sector. So I went from the very female-dominated industry of teaching to uh, the heavily male-dominated industry of mining. So until I moved into the agency, I had never really considered 
my gender as having been a handicap to me in the workplace. But when I got to the agency and I started looking at the data that we were collecting, it made me stop and think about some of the hurdles I had personally had to overcome. So the data was hugely influential in the way I started looking at workplaces and thinking about the work that needed to be done. Mm. So did you ever anticipate that you would be in this kind of job? No, never. Yeah. Never. Um, but it's, this has been the best job mm. I've ever had. Our next guest is a researcher who also uses data to assess how organisations are tracking when it comes to gender equality. He also advises them on how to make changes for the better. I am Victor Soho. I am a lecturer in leadership at the University of Melbourne. I want to figure out what are the, you know, the different attributes of people who manage to become leaders and, and why is it that it is so hard for certain people to achieve those positions, whereas it's so easy for others. Victor himself works in a female-dominated field, gender research. What is it like to be a man who studies gender equity? Basically, when I'm doing research about gender equity, people don't think that I have an agenda. People don't think that I'm doing this for myself, you know, that I have an ulterior motive when I'm advocating for somebody else to be treated like a real human. Um, but whenever I talk about the inclusion of members of the queer community or ethnic minorities, people straight away think that I'm just talking about me and that I'm just trying to advocate for myself and and they stop listening. Does anyone ever think it's weird to say things to you? Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. People asking me, like, why why do you care about this? And I'm like, well, I think that, he, you know, women are humans, so, and I care about humans being well. My mom was a single mom, okay? So I grew up in an environment where she was a feminist. She had to work because there was no other way to raise four kids, you know, by, by working. And, you know, I grew up in a place where women were working and doing everything that they needed to do. And so I find it quite odd when there are many situations that actually make it more difficult for women to be able to do everything they want to be and want to do. And so I think in a way that also has definitely been at the back of my mind when I'm thinking about these sort of issues, the fact that I grew up in a home where women were in charge and doing things, and it was fine. Victor has done a lot of research on how gender impacts working life in Australia and abroad. We know that for a fact that in Australia, uh, men are more likely to occupy positions of power, both in the public and private sector whereas women are more likely to occupy what you would consider precarious jobs, you know, jobs that are, have lower uh, salaries, where um, you are more exposed to abuse from clients or your supervisor, and where there is not a lot of job security. You've probably heard of the glass ceiling, the invisible barrier that blocks women's career progression. Well, organisational researchers have observed another gendered trend in female-dominated organisations. They call it the glass escalator. Which is that men who enter female-dominated work environments are more likely to be propped and to be brought into leadership positions um, sooner than their female counterparts. One of, a lot of the work that I do is in, is in what you would consider female-dominated work environments or government sector, NGOs. And a lot of the leadership roles are either gender balanced or have more men than women, even though the whole industry is 70 or plus, you know, percent women. 
Um, that's why when people talk about female-dominated work environments, you always stand there doubting what they mean, because even in those environments, men are at least equally likely to get to positions of power relative to women. But is it a problem if there isn't equal representation at work? As most people know, engineering is a very, you know, male-dominated environment. Car manufacturing in particular, is, you know, it's even more male-dominated. But what used to happen is that um, the crash test dummies that they were using to evaluate the safety levels of the cars um, were designed for the, you know, having the measurement of the average man. And so we ended up in a situation where even though women were less likely to be involved in car accidents, um, they were more likely to get severely injured when they were in an accident. And so we're not arguing here that this is an issue of people intentionally designing a situation that ends up being harmful to women, but it's more about the fact that there are so many things that you are not keeping in your mind when you're making important decisions, right? And so if you're not consulting the right people or if the right people are in the room when you're making important decisions about them, it is quite possible that you are going to end up developing a service or a product that doesn't really take them into consideration. I suppose that extends to politics too. 100%. Yeah. In, in fact, it's interesting because I feel that in politics, the, the evidence is, is, is very clear and has been well researched for, for, many, for many years now. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons why people kept arguing that we needed to have some, some clear mechanisms to increase representation of women in politics, to the point that many countries around the world, even developed nations, have targets or quotas for women in politics because they realized that a number of the policies that were being developed uh, were ignoring the needs of women and their children. So if you like, many of the policies around women's reproductive rights are the consequence of having more women fully advocating for their own rights. Whereas if you have a parliament that is full of men or a Supreme Court that is full of men, it's going to be much harder for these basic fundamental rights of women to be protected or advocated for. Another key problem is pay. Even in female-dominated industries, men earn more. Data from the Workplace Gender Equality Agency shows that men in female-dominated industries such as health earn about 22% more than their female counterparts. And in male-dominated industries like construction earn about 18% more. Yes, so there is some research about that, that they, they have been tracking occupational sectors and they've shown that when women start entering a specific occupational sector, the salaries of the average salaries of the occupation start going down. Um, what about men entering female-dominated industries? Yes. Is it common? What happens? So that's a, that's a very interesting question. So do does the average salary of industry change when men enter the industry? And that's, that's precisely the case. So in the, in the case of, of computer science, that's literally what we saw. Um, like computing was, was a female-dominated job. So you just have a bunch of women make, doing calculations, you know? And so when it became uh, an interesting area, you started having more men walking into it, and then it started getting a much higher salary than the salary that all of these women were getting by doing the, basically the exact same job. And so, yeah, it, it is the case, right? When you have an industry where men are entering, um, the salary of the, of the sector increases. Men face negative consequences too, particularly when they work in male-dominated workplaces. In general, there is a, a fair bit of, of bravado, you know, this culture of, of 
hypermasculinity of bullying and harassment. You know, both men and women are more likely to experience these events in male-dominated work environments. Um, and there is less care for work-family balance in these workplaces too. And it's interesting things like, so for instance, men who are working in male-dominated work environments are more likely to come back to work soon after having a physical injury. Um, and a lot of the time without being fully recovered from this. And so they are obviously putting themselves at further risk, but also the team members and the whole organization because of this. So it's not just about um, what negative consequences could there be for women when this happens, but there are also many negative consequences for men. It's a lot easier for women to work flexibly, in fact, men's requests for flexible work are twice as likely to be declined as women's are. So in order to address the real issues of discrimination that women face in our society, we actually have to address the discrimination and bias that men face in the workplace. And that is particularly around part-time work, parental leave uh, and flexible work. Because until we manage to address those problems of discrimination, women aren't going to get anywhere. So we need to address that first. And to me, that is vitally important. Men should not be afraid to ask for flexible work. Are there any legitimate reasons why workplace segregation exists. I mean, lots of the time mm. people are always going to argue that, you know, uh, men's physical strength is an example. Yeah, that's why they end up working in construction, mm -hmm. you know, because they have to leave all those heavy stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I think the case of construction is interesting because um, actually relying on your personal physical strength at work is a predictor of physical injury. Okay? And so you have organizations like WorkSafe that actually actively goes into organizations to advocate for people using the right kind of machines and equipment to prevent them using their own physical strength to do their jobs. And so this idea that, you know, we should continue to have only men in construction because they are physically stronger, uh, when in fact all of the safety regulations and what we know about safety indicates that people should not rely on their own physical strength to do their jobs. Um, you know, there is like a bit of a contradiction there. The other thing that is interesting about construction is that, again, design. So it is quite possible that all of the uh, the tools that people are using and all of the supplies that you need to be able to work in construction have been designed to cater for the physical strength of men. So maybe it is possible to redesign them, you know? A lot of the jobs that we do now, they, they rely on intellectual competency, not on physical one. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. And when you look at financial services, when you look at engineering, when you look at computer science, the differences that we're seeing there are not in physical strength or in the capacity to get pregnant or not. They are about intellectual capability. The research about men and women interest and intellectual capability shows that there are very clear more overlap than differences. Is there anything we can do to level out the playing field and make all jobs accessible for everyone? I think that the gender stereotyping starts the minute that we're born. We give baby girls dolls. We give baby boys Thomas the Tank Engine. So it starts the minute we're born 
and it doesn't finish until the day we die. And so we have to start challenging these assumptions that are with us through our whole life. We have to personally challenge them in ourselves, but also in others about the fact that, you know, girls can't be mechanics. It's nonsense. Boys can't be nurses. It's nonsense. Women don't own the license to care. (laughs) You know, men are great carers. They care differently if they're doing it on a one-to-one basis. That doesn't mean that they're bad at it. Mm. They just do it differently to the way women might do it. Men are great carers. Men make great nurses. My and, dad's a nurse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we need more male nurses and we need more male childcare workers. But in order to do that, as a community, we have to start challenging ourselves and one another. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's really, really important. Both Libby and Victor say there's a need for businesses to focus on walking the walk and not talking the talk. Gender equality is a business issue. It's an important business issue just like health and safety is. And because it's a business issue, you can't just handball it to usually a woman in HR and say, here you go, love, fix this. You've got to treat it as a business issue. You have to make sure that people are accountable for achieving outcomes. So in order to do that, you've got to have an action plan. You have to make people accountable for achieving those actions. And in making them accountable, put it in their KPIs. Hit them in the the, the hip pocket if necessary, that if they achieve their KPIs, they get rewarded for it. Everybody likes to be rewarded for doing the right thing. But what we do need to do in terms of uh, this gender segregation is we need the female-dominated industries to step up and take some serious positive action at getting more men into the workplace. Now, the male-dominated industries, particularly the male-dominated industry of mining, uh, they have done this really, really well. They have one of the lowest gender pay gaps of any industry. And they have been working really, really hard at getting more women into this male-dominated industry. Men are sometimes worried that the push for gender equality in the workplace will mean fewer opportunities for them. But Libby says this is not the case. It's all good for the economy. It grows the economy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I understand at times that men us fearful that they are going to have their jobs overtaken by women. That's not the case. You know, as more women go into the workforce, it puts more money into the economy for the benefit of everybody. Actually, having gender equity could be good for many things. Um, the research shows that the work environments are a little bit healthier. So in more gender-balanced places, there is less harassment and bullying. Work family practices you know, to create some kind of balance there are are more effective. Um, Organisations also have better governance and better corporate social responsibility when there are more women in positions of power. This is the beauty of of capturing the data. Um, Overall, things have got better. Mm -hmm. At the moment, we have uh, more than 70% of all organisations that report into us have a gender equality policy or strategy in place. That is fantastic. And we need to keep talking about things, educating, informing, putting the data out there, 
talking about the business case, talking about how to improve the economy of the country, uh, because we are seeing improvements. Today, we've seen how data can help to paint a picture of how the workforce is functioning, for better or worse. And when it comes to gender inequality and gender segregation at work, the numbers are proving really hard to shift. So we've heard from the experts, we've seen the data. Now it's up to businesses to take the next steps and shake up the gender divisions in the workplace. Thank you to our guests, Libby Lyons and Dr. Victor Soho. You can subscribe to Women of the Business on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for new episodes every fortnight. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review. For more insights on how women work and live, head to our website, fbe.unimelb.edu.au forward slash women are the business. Women are the business is recorded on Wurundjeri land at the University of Melbourne and sometimes in my car. The podcast is produced by Seth Robinson, James Whitmore and me, Sophie Thomas. It's recorded by Chris Hutzis, edited and mixed by Audiocraft's Camilla Hannan. The theme music comes from Epidemic Sounds.